Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Event Industry News Podcast. My name is James Dixon, and as I always do, I wish you a very good morning, afternoon, or evening, whenever and wherever you tune in to today's podcast from. And the first thing that we should do on today's podcast is reference when we are recording today's podcast. Um, it's Thursday, the 17th of June, and uh, unless you've been hiding in a cave recently, um, on Monday, the 14th of June, Prime Minister Boris Johnson uh, took to his famous lectern now and announced that he was going to be delaying the lifting of final restrictions in the UK beyond the original date of the 21st of June, which should have been this Monday, and extending that by a further four weeks, uh, meaning that those final restrictions of social distancing and lockdown measures that we've all been party to for the last 12 months or so will now, as it stands, be lifted on the 19th of July. Inevitably, that caused a lot of consternation within the events industry that has suffered terribly as a result of these restrictions and is constantly being pushed back and, you know, for want of a better phrase, having the goalposts moved as they attempt to get back to some form of operational normality. Our guest today wrote quite a fervent response to that on his company's website, which was posted on Tuesday. And I'm delighted to say now that the author of that post, Mr. Mike Seaman, CEO of Raccoon Events, joins the Event Industry News podcast to have a little chat about that today. Mike, a very good morning to you and welcome to the podcast. Good morning to you too. Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, you're very welcome. Um, and I think I've, I've explained things and put things into context as to where we're up to now. You published this post as a response to it. Let's get straight into it. What was your initial reaction when you heard the announcement on Monday that many of us ultimately had already expected due to a lot of uh, media activity over the weekend, anticipating that this would be announced? Um, I, I was a bit frustrated. Um, not Not by the announcement, because we all saw that coming and we were all prepared for it. But the lack of coverage or mention of exhibitions. I heard weddings get a big mention. Um, I heard lots of stuff about the entertainment industry and the hospitality industry. Uh, we, we weren't even spoken about. Um, and I, and, I, and it, it just sort of made me really annoyed that throughout this whole process, it felt like we'd been getting some progress with lobbying and with you know, stuff's been happening. And once again, we were just forgotten. It's interesting, isn't it? Because in the last 12 to 18, well, but you know, 24 months, really, if you go back to the whole Brexit debate and the issue of trade deals and trade, that word trade is often used by politicians, isn't it? You know, we must get trade going, you know, and trade deals. And it's it's been nonstop, really. If you if you put the pandemic to one side and you go back to the huge talking point politically, which was Brexit for many, many months, um, if you then dovetail that into the exhibition and the events industry um, and the conference industry. A huge amount of trade is done within UK exhibitions, isn't it? Um, give us some of the figures, because I think you quoted some of them in your post on, on Tuesday about just how many exhibition events there are in the UK. Yeah, and this is stuff that comes from the AEO and, and credit to them because they've been doing a good job sort of lobbying this. But pre-pandemic, we had 1,077 trade and consumer shows every year and we employed 114,000 people that was estimated to stimulate, and this is just exhibitions, that was estimated to stimulate 70 billion pounds worth of trade. Um, that's a significant amount of money to just ignore. Um, and, and for trade to happen, you need to provide opportunities for, for trade. Um, and that's exactly what exhibitions do. They, they, they provide serendipity, or as I call it, accidental collisions, where 
you bump into the thing that you didn't know that you wanted and you either buy it or you start a purchasing process. Um, that's really important. Um, that's, that's gone. We've, we've moved everything into quite a transactional purchasing process um, because we've lost those accidental collisions in our business lives. We're all working from home. We're squeezing in time where we can. We're searching for what we need not what we don't know we need, if that makes sense. And I, and I, th and I think that's the bit that's got missed um, in this whole process. And I thought long and hard about, I, I wrote a quite a ranty article, which is the article you're referring to. And I thought long, and, I've, been I've been meaning to write this for quite some time because it's quite frankly gotten under my skin. Um, but then there was, the, the PR side of me says that if you come out complaining that the exhibition industry is screwed, um, do people then think your business is screwed and does it make you look weak? Do you, do you lose customer confidence? And so I think that's why a lot of these big businesses and big personalities have actually been quiet because they don't, they don't want to run the risk of sort of sticking their head above the parapet and, and maybe sort of losing some customer confidence. Um, but I just went, screw it. I, it needs to be said, I'm going to say it. It's, I'm not saying it for me. The people I'm really worried about are, our supply chain. Um, events are going to come back. COVID is going to go. It's and and at the end of that, we are going to need to run events. And when you look that eighty three percent of freelancers have got no work and no support, how are those guys going to come back and deliver our trade shows in September when we want to get going again? Mm. And you know that that's the position I'm in. I am a freelancer. I am a one man band working in the events industry. Um, you know, a, a gun for hire. I get the phone call. I get the email. Can you help us on this event? We need somebody to do X, Y, and Z on our production team. We have an awards event. You know, all of those sort of one-day, two-day jobs that form the bread and butter of my diary on a, a year-to-year basis um, have... And it's have the same for security, for AV, for, you know, the guys who build the shell scheme, all of these guys. Look, exhibition organisers are going to be okay. Venues are going to be okay. Um, for me, it's annoying to move a show. Um, it costs me tens of thousands of pounds because I have to stick stuff over. We lose business every time we move a show, but we've actually gotten quite good at moving shows. Um, and our team have become sort of experts at it. And so we just, we, we have a process that we use and it, and it works and the business is fine because we did a, a big cash raise at the back end of last year, which, you know, has secured our future, but we're not going to be fine if we can't then run shows. So someone's got to stand up and go out and say, look, support these guys, guys like you, who are suffering and and further than that sorry you got me on a rant now uh <laughs> further, further than that this is my post if anyone's read the article it was quite ranty and i toned it down but now i'm going ranty again um our customers 80 percent of our customers are smes um we essentially create marketplaces i organize large-scale b2c health and well-being events so like the national running show national snow show cycle show etc people come to our events and they pay for a stand and they sell more than they spend and they make profit from doing these shows. And these are small businesses that you might not otherwise get to see on the high street. And that's kind of the USP of our, our business. Those customers have now, uh, sorry, those companies have now lost an opportunity to connect with customers. They don't have high street retail representation. They don't have a way to get their products known or seen by new audiences. So their businesses are just stagnant. And that just feels horrible. And you're, I mean, to put things into context, you know, Raccoon Events, which is your business, you run events for a very, very specific sort of outdoor, you know, sports orientated market. 
And it's quite obvious there that um, you must have some very, very specialist exhibitors, very, very specialist suppliers. They are targeting not a niche audience because, you know, people who go running, the running community now is, is large. But as a show, that's a specialist exhibition, isn't it? It's a specialist event for a specialist marketplace. Um, and so, as you said, that 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 understandably cuts off essentially the, the supply line, the contact line from your exhibitors and your clients and their potential customers. Yeah, so there's there's 10.4 million runners in the UK and apparently running's increased 40% during lockdown. So using the National Running Show, which is our most established product, that's become the place where brands launch new lines. It's become the sort of the, the hub for the community. And there's there's kind of a couple of big things that are getting missed here is that a lot of people use running as a way to deal with obesity. A lot of people use as a run, a running as a way of dealing with mental health issues. And w without sort of places to gather and learn how to do it properly, then are you actually encouraging people not to do that? Now, you would argue maybe not with this 40% increase, but I, I believe that our show has, has a place in the community. And I know COVID is a serious. I know it's a big deal. We have to take it seriously. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't, but 2,400 people go into hospital every single day where obesity is a factor. 19 people take their own life in the UK every single day. There are, there are other issues that are equally as important as COVID and there are other solutions that can help. And I, and I think, you know, we, we need to be talking about the obesity epidemic. We need to be talking about the mental health crisis in this country. We need to move away from single issue politics and single issue strategies and we need to broaden up, open up, open up trade and deal with everything. And I think that's the job of government is to actually develop an approach that helps everyone and deals with all of these issues conjunctively, not necessarily in isolation. Um, I've gone ranty again, haven't I? No one's going to listen to that's me. That's why we're here. <laughs> that, that, that's why we're here. That's why we're here. Um, you raised what I consider to be a very, very valid point in the post that you put on. And we should point out raccoonevents.com. If you go to raccoonevents.com and go to their news page, you'll see Mike's uh, post that was published on the 15th of June. And in that post, Mike, you raise a question and a point that has been brought up on many occasions by the AEO, by other trade organizations within the events industry, by many event professionals, which is that, the way many of our shows are set up, be it a conference, a trade show, an exhibition, a live event, a live music event, we effectively have built in track and trace because of the way the registration process works, particularly in exhibitions. You've got great contact details. Many exhibitions now will be able to see exactly what stands somebody's visited because they will include things like RFID and, you know, touch points mm -hmm. to, to access information on stands. So you can actually build up a picture individually of where a visitor has been within a particular exhibition show floor um given all of that and given that other events are now being allowed to run or that you know a thousand people could walk into ikea on a saturday and buy a pair of tongs how frustrated are you that despite all of these things in place you're still not being allowed to open up well and you can see why it starts to feel punitive when when you look at it in that way because because we look we we passed the pilot as an industry we did a pilot and we passed um we created the all secure standard as an industry which has been approved by government as as a set of regulations within which we can operate and then all of a sudden there's this arbitrary a thousand person limit which doesn't seem to make any sense and actually when you look at the standards using your example of a thousand people in ikea 
well, who's tracking where those people come from? Um, how is that interaction being managed in store in comparison to how the exhibition environment could be managed under something like an all secure standard? Now, events like me will probably not be the ones to come back first because we rely on high density and high volume. But you look at Complex, which was due to run on the 22nd of June, that is an environment very carefully managed with a controlled number of delegates. It's a B2B space. I would have gone to it. It would have been full of events industry professionals who would have followed the rules because we, we know them. And that event isn't allowed to go ahead, but we're allowed to put 24,000 people into Wembley. Um, we, we also, as an industry, we wrote to, to government uh, offering to implement COVID status certification at our events, which I think is the way forward, actually. And I think it's really important that you propose a solution. You don't just whinge. Um, and I feel I'm conscious that I am being very whingy. Um, but actually, the, for me, the solution is that the COVID passports, which was the, the word that government wanted to avoid. But actually, if you can pretest everybody that's going into an environment, then surely that has to be the way to get live events running. And we could we could do that tomorrow. Um, the app has the functionality. If you if you've been double jabbed, if you've had a negative test that morning, um, or if you've got antibody proof, then you're allowed into the event. If you if you don't, you're not. And you you could even in, incorporate some testing facilities on site. That would start to move life forward, and that would feel quite constructive. And that was very much the vernacular. That was that that was that was out there. It was that came from government. That was that was their solution, and that's just gone. They've just forgotten about that. It's interesting that you reminded me of two things there, Mike. Um, firstly, I don't know if you caught on the radio this morning, but Melvin Ben from Festival Republic was uh, on one of the major UK radio breakfast shows this morning talking about that very thing, which is, you know, lateral flow testing on the day that festival goers are due to turn up at the gates and exchange their ticket for a wristband you know, turning up with a negative test. It's perfectly feasible now. Um, and that reminded me of the fact that in order for schools to open, they implemented a mass testing program. I have two teenage sons, uh, the youngest of which is still in secondary school, and he is required at the moment to do two tests a week um, and has done since, uh, when was this, just prior to the Easter holidays when they actually went back into schools. Um, there are 2,000 pupils in his school. So by operating the testing program twice a week, not even every day, twice a week, they're able to put 2,000 students plus staff into that school. Um, and when you start drawing parallels like that, you start to see, I w I'm going to hasten to say lack of common sense, but there seems to be a lack of joined up thinking that if it's okay to let 2,000 students into a school because they've tested twice a week and are negative, why not be able to let 2,000 people into an exhibition when they've tested negative on the day that they were due to arrive? And I, and I think that's, that's the bit where people get frustrated. That's where people like me go all ranty and write articles is because it, it does seem that the events industry has just been overlooked in that because actually there's, there's no difference in those interactions in those space. In fact, probably within an exhibition, those events would be argued to be safer. And then you look overseas and you look at the States. So the USA where we've got um, a couple of events over there now, um, I mean, they're open for business. They see the value of exhibitions and they're, they're going for it. And you have to look at this and you go as, as an organizer. Now we we're very embedded in the UK and we're very, we love this market. But if it's easy for me to trade in other countries and do my business over there, then then you know 
why wouldn't I consider that? And and you have to start looking at that and thinking, well, maybe it's it's just easier to not not be in the UK. Um, and and so why is UK PLC encouraging an industry that generates seventy billion of economic impact to leave? And that's what they're trying to tell us to do. Is is there? A situation that the events industry maybe has created itself we've made such a noise in the last few months about virtual events and hybrid events everyone's used to doing video meetings now but at event industry news and equally over on the event tech live side of things we've seen loads and loads of chatter and news and shouting about virtual events and um how event organizers have pivoted to run successful virtual events and take their conferences online have we unwittingly put out a message that we're surviving by being able to run things virtually when the reality is far from that? Yeah, I think I think probably that is the case. And I think there's been this big war between virtual and live and one was always going to replace the other. And I think that's very, a lot of people have agendas when they're talking about virtual and they're talking about live and it, it's generally which areas they operate in. Um, I think it's been great that a lot of us have been able to pivot to digital and actually as everybody is talking about now, the answer is really is having an omni-channel approach, but we all need live events. We all need digital strategies. Um, I personally am not a fan of virtual events for my community, but there are virtual events that work for some communities. I personally hate hybrids, but that's another rant. Um, and uh, uh, digital community is definitely the way forward. And you, you know, using websites and optimizing digital communities is, is the future for all of us, because we're all running data businesses. But this goes back to my earlier point, which is, saying how great our pivot to digital has been is that projection of co confidence and it's businesses trying to go out and show their customers that they have solutions they're here to stay they're going to ride this out and i think that's really important mm. but equally at some point we all need those live events to come back because we all know that's that's how we we make the most money mm. and that that's how those freelancers those 114,000 people um get back to work um, so if, if we want to return to pre-COVID in terms of the live events model, we, we, need to, we need live events. That doesn't mean that digital will go away or those virtuals will go away. We need those as well. And actually, that's an opportunity for the whole sector to grow. So I think unwittingly, by trying to project confidence around that digital space, exactly as you said, we've, we've almost shot ourselves in the foot and government go, well, they, they seem okay. Um, and I think there's a few other things in terms of lead times when we talk about lead times to get events going because a lot of exhibitions and larger scale things take a year to get going there's this perception from government that we can't really do much to help them because it's trying to turn a cruise ship as opposed to sort of just quickly nip in but a lot of organizers have, have sort of got dates in the short term that need help so there are i mean you look in september there's an event every two minutes in september so Absolutely, if government yeah if government do not get cracking and get this sorted and get us open on this new date of July 19th, then people are going to suffer. Um, and, you know, I really hope that's the case. I really hope they open on the 19th. And I think we need to start putting pressure on them now to do that and to deliver on their promises and find a way. It's not just acceptable anymore to keep kicking the can down the road. We've done that for a year and a half. We've savaged the economy. We've savaged an entire industry and 60,000 people are, are out of work in our industry which is sickening they're my friends they're your friends it's people you you know people like you who who are freelancers who rely on that stuff they're not working at the moment and we need to stand up for them 
Yeah, uh, and 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 that flows right down. Actually, the the, the events industry has a, a huge, you know, uh, I suppose um, relationship with with the live music sector as well. You know, I'm I, I have a lot of friends who are who are professional musicians who have you know turn to driving delivery vans for Amazon and and for builders merchants because there are simply no gigs for them and of course without the events industry and without running awards exhibitions things with evening events that often run after the daytime event has taken place you know a lot of that nighttime industry and and, and that sector the corporate entertainment sector is also affected by that it's not just the primary exhibition and event industry there are those you know uh, knock-on industries the hotels in and around places like the nec and excel um, that don't do any business the staff then that subsequently are out of work from them the restaurants the pubs nearby that do a trade when the nec or these exhibition centers are full um completely dried up you know that there are there are so many knock-ons from the event industries that as the primary driver of of economy in any given area yeah and i think we so we spend between half a million and a million quid depending on the show over the over that period of time over those couple of weeks in terms of actual money spent so that money just gets kicked along the road or doesn't get spent if we defer it a year so there is there's a knock on to all those people i think to, i know we're coming to the end and i want to i want to shine a little bit of a positive on this because actually i i genuinely believe that the demand for exhibitions and the demand for live experience is through the roof. Um, we've all experienced digital as our 80% of our life, and it's, it's, it's not where we want to be. We'll probably retain some of it, but actually we want to go back and have live experiences. We want to see, touch and feel. And I can tell you that from the figures. We, we were due to have a show, which was the National Running Show South. That was due to run on the 17th and 18th of July. So the week, <laughs> given that we're now opening on the 19th, we've had to move that back to September. Um, I had 22,000 tickets for people who wanted to go through that. And the majority of those were sold in the three months preceding um, the move date. So people are desperate to come back. Like our exhibitors bookings were through the roof. People want to go to live experiences and there is a live experience boom coming. Um, and that will then stimulate the trade. And before you know it, we, we can get back those 114,000 jobs. We can get back that 70 billion economic impact actually quite quickly. We just need government to stand up and pay attention and, and look at us. Hmm. One thing I want to uh, to ask you before we wrap up today, Mike, is that um, the first sentence of your uh, post that was published on your website on Tuesday says, why are exhibitions being discriminate, discriminated against continuously? Having had a couple of days to sort of reflect on that, do you, do you still stand by the word discriminated? Do you feel that that is definitely still the case? Yeah, and I think if the... If going to your IKEA example, absolutely. Um, going looking at other venues and the way that they're moving things, absolutely. But if you look at the event research program in particular, um, which is allegedly a way of testing events, they seem to be continually testing events that that look the same and are actually already allowed to operate. So the Euros and Wimbledon is another test event, um, which is why you can have twenty odd thousand people in instead of the ten thousand or whatever the maximum would have been. Um, no one's testing any exhibitions, which are allegedly the bit that where the problem is. And it, that, that feels a little suspicious to me. Um, and, I, and, you know, I do question you know, how, how are those decisions being made about which events we're testing? Are we really testing the events where they want to see if there's um, a transmission risk or are they trying to backdoor in 
the big events that make the most money. Yeah, so surely not. Surely not suggesting that the major sporting events are, are are being given some form of free pass to operate this year. I mean, you just have to have a look at it. It's look at the events that have been tested on the event research program. How many exhibitions are in there? Why Comfex, an event for events professionals, wasn't an wasn't a test event is beyond me. Uh, why we are continually testing football matches and tennis tournaments, which pretty much look and operate the same. What are you testing for? You're going to get the same answers that you got at the others. Test something different. And test, you know, and test events could be a way for organizers that need to get, get moving to get moving again. And that might give some of those freelancers some work. So it just feels to me that that's possibly a, um, a slightly biased decision. Mm. Time will tell um, as to whether they were the right or the wrong decisions. But um, I think there's a lot of people, Mike, that um, would agree with um, not just yours, but our assessment of uh, of what events have been given status as test events. Um, Mike Seaman is the CEO at Raccoon Events and also chair of the AEO UK organiser group. Um, and we've been talking on the podcast today about a post that was published on the Raccoon Events website on Tuesday the 15th of June this year in response to the announcement on Monday the 14th of June that the final restrictions and uh, ultimately what we all saw as the end of lockdown after a year has been pushed back by four weeks from the 21st of June to the 19th of July, having a huge impact on the exhibition industry. Um, Mike, before we uh, go today, um, I've mentioned the raccoonevents.com website. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, uh, presumably you guys are on social media as well. How will they? Uh, how do they find you? Absolutely. We have different social media things for all of the different events. Um, but if you go to raccoonevents.com or email me at mike at raccoonevents.com, I'd love to chat to anybody about this. Um, if you're interested in any of our shows, we've got the National Running Show uh, coming up on the 11th and 12th of September now, National Snow, National Snow Show in October. Um, then we have the running shows next year. We've got those in the UK and overseas and the Outdoor Expo. We've got loads of fun stuff. So if you enjoy being active outside, check out rookieevents.com and I'm sure we'll have an event for you. The National Snow Show is not one that I'd like to uh, get my uh, vocabulary around after a couple of beers. Um, I'm ready on that. <laughs> I, I, I commend you for having the balls to go ahead with that one. Um, <laughs> fant fantastic, Mike. Um, if you are watching today's podcast on the eventindustrynews.com website, don't forget to head over to your favourite podcast platform and you can listen to audio versions of all 240-something episodes of the Event Industry News podcast. Of course, if we are in your ears at the moment as you are out and about and you are listening uh, on one of those podcast platforms, you can also go to eventindustrynews.com and watch video versions of all of our podcasts. And while you're there, check out some of the latest news, features, supplements and special editions that are being published on the eventindustrynews.com website. Our thanks again to Mr. Mike Seaman from Raccoon Events for joining the podcast today. Mike, it's been great to chat to you. Keep us in the loop with how things are progressing. We'd love to get you back on the podcast and and get some more views and uh, some more rants going forward. I feel that this is uh, open forum uh, of rant season for anybody who wishes to do so. Um, so please keep in touch. We look forward to having you back on the podcast. And it just leaves me to say thank you very much for tuning in again to the Event Industry News Podcast. And we will see you next time. Goodbye. Mm -hmm.